Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that every one who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. This, this text uh, contains some information in it that <clears throat> gives us a lot of conflict. The human, human race has conflict, but this because um, we think that Unless we see something with our own eyes, we can't believe it. We won't believe it. And that's one of the, uh, the statements we sometimes make. Unless I see it with my own eyes, I won't believe it. No. Men get conflicted that way, basically, when it comes to God himself. And Jesus made a statement twice in there that talked about seeing him and seeing the Father. But in this text, he said, uh, I said unto you that you have seen me and you didn't believe. And then he goes ahead and says, This is the will of God of him that sent me, that everyone that sees the Son and believes, you may have everlasting life. So first of all, he's saying, You have seen me, but you haven't believed, and you've not believed even though you have seen me. So that's, that's the conflict that we have. It's a serious problem for us. Because we want to see him, and at the same time, we don't want to see him. Now that, that seems paradoxical, doesn't it? It doesn't happen. It happened in the Old Testament times when God first appeared to Moses and the children of Israel at Mount Sinai. When, when everybody got on, on the mountain, they got all gathered together, they, they saw all the Evidences of God on top of the mountain. They saw the fire and they heard the thunder and they felt the earthquake beneath their feet. And they really did not want to see him at that point. They were fearful of him. Hebrews chapter 12, the writer tells us that you're not coming to Mount, the mountain not be touched and it burns with fire, nor into blackness and darkness and tempest. So he's saying, you're not coming to that kind of a mountain. And so he goes ahead and says, it had the sound of a trumpet, the voice of words, which voice that they heard and treated, but the words should not be spoken of them anymore. For they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much of the beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through at the dark. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear the place. So the presence of God was a terrifying presence to them. And later on, uh, Moses took some men with him and they went up on the mountain. I think he took about 70 elders and Joshua with him and they went up on the mountain. And there it says they, they were able to see an image of God. But the fact that they did not see his very face, God can see to that. But they cannot see the face of God, but they could, they got an image. They sort of got a, 
in some way. But still, they were they were thrust uh, through with, with some kind of fear because the text says that no man may see God and live. That's in, in the Exodus chapter 33 verse 20. Even after they went up to see it, it said they, can, they, they can't see him if they see him they won't live. Then John 1 verse 18 says, No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared it. Well, Moses told the people of Israel that the Lord talked with you face to face in the mountain out of the midst of the fire. For God was there. But they weren't looking at Him. Moses used the expression he used to use. And we think of it, and when we think of speaking face to face, we think of actually looking at in somebody's face. And that's not what Moses meant, obviously, because he had already stated that if anybody saw God, he couldn't live. Well, face to face meant that God was speaking to them in such a way that they were personally being addressed by God. And that, of course, happened on the mountain. Isaiah said, in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, now, there's a point. Some of the Old Testament prophets made the statement that they had seen God. Now here's a statement made by Isaiah in Isaiah 6 verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled with people. So Isaiah said, I saw him on the throne, high and lifted up. Then Daniel said that he had seen, actually seen the ancient of days. In Daniel 7 verse 13, he said, I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like unto the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the ancient of days, and they brought him near before him. So Daniel had said this is what he saw in a dream, obviously. But he said he saw the ancient of days. Then Amos wrote this in Amos chapter 9 at verse 1. He said, I saw the Lord standing upon the altar. Okay. Seeing God basically, takes on a larger meaning than simply viewing the profile or the vision, basically, of God, the Almighty, with our physical eyesight. The text in John 1 at verse 18 implies that much. No man has seen God at any time. It's actually an emotional impact, but uh, it, it's not lasting. If you see someone, if you get a visual sight of someone, you have an emotional impact that it doesn't last. Matter of fact, James says when you look in the mirror, you turn away and you forget even what you look like. You see yourself as much as you see anyone else. You don't even know what you look like. I don't know what I look like. We all have someone else in my hair, of course. Do I have something, something on my skin? Do I have something? Thinking, you know, we're, we're, we're asking people what we look like. So when we talk about a physical profile of someone, we're actually talking about something that's very temporary. It doesn't last. And so we try to track images. We, we try to take pictures. And we take a picture so we can remember what somebody looks like. And to uh, build monuments. We carve them in granite and stone. Make them out of metal so that we can see and remember what someone actually looks like. Basically, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about a physical 
apparition, it's physical look, the visceral look. One of the main problems of obtaining a physical view of God would be that we would want to sketch an image. We'd want to draw a picture. We'd want to, we'd want to represent him so that we could, we could replicate that. And as a matter of fact, that we might even want to mold it into some sort of a image that we could bow down to. Now that was the problem. That's one of the problems. Historically, that's what man would like to do, but that's what God said you cannot do. And that's just chapter 20, verse 1. He said, we're not going to make an image of anything and bow down and worship it. And he included himself in that concept. Isaiah said at chapter 53, verse 1, he said, Who has believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? He shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty in him that we should rely on. He's talking about Jesus. He's talking about the, the fact that he didn't have any visceral form. Basically, he did. He came in the form of a man. But he was not in such a form that he would be a stocking individual. You know, that, that's obvious. should be obvious. When, when, when people came to get him in the garden of Gethsemane, and they were going to take him, but they brought, a, brought someone with him who could identify him. So, how couldn't they just go, well, here's, here's what he looks like. He weighs this much, he's this tall, he's, he's this broad, he's got this color hair, he's, he's got this sort of mustache, this sort of beard. They didn't. He was not a striking individual. And I think, basically, there's a purpose in that. There's no beauty in him that we should desire him. But he did say, in John 6, 46, not that any man has seen the Father, say he, of which it is said he has seen the Father. So Jesus has seen the Father, but he did not describe him in those sort of details that we could picture him physically. In John 5, verse 37, the Father himself which has sent me has borne witness of me. Ye have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his shape. Jesus was repeating that particular statement. But he did tell the apostles that if you've seen me, well, let's consider this in the broader aspect. We're talking now more of conceptualizing rather than visualizing. Okay? You know what that is? You can conceptualize something without visualizing something. And you get the concept of the visible Okay. Philip said unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it will suffice us. And now Jesus said, Have I been so long time with you, you have not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father. And how say you then, show us the Father? So now we have a contradiction with, with these men. They're looking at Jesus, and they know he is not the Father. But they're not looking at him, visualizing him in that context. They're not getting a, a picture of God, a sort of picture of God that they could visualize and accept or try to replicate. He said, he's not telling them, I, I look like him, physically. Okay, that, that's the problem we have generally. The sense in which we see Jesus and see God is rooted in, rooted in our faith. That's how we're going to see God. 
You're not going to see him. You're not going to see him physically. As they saw Jesus. But they did see him. And when Jesus said, you've seen my father, they were not going to physically see an image of him. In Hebrews chapter 2 verse 9 says, We see Jesus, which is made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste the death for every man. Now, the writer of Hebrews said, We see Jesus. Now, he wasn't holding a picture of Jesus up and saying, Look here. He's writing something to you. He's setting forth a concept. He's wanting them to conceptualize about God and Jesus. He said, we see Jesus in this way. Now, some actually saw him, and they were, they were able to place confidence in the fact that he was there personally, viscerally. He was there among them. And when he died on the cross, they saw that. They were able to, to not, not just conceptualize it, they visualized it. They saw him. They, in, in this sphere of life, they were able to realize that that was him literally in human form on the cross. And they knew when he was buried. They saw his body die on the cross and they knew where he was buried and they came back to get him out of the tomb and he was risen. And they knew when he came out of the tomb that he came back in the body in which he'd gone before. Now, at times they didn't recognize him because they were overwhelmed with his resurrection. But eventually they recognized him. They recognized him and they knew who he was. They recognized him materially. Okay? And so when they did, they got together in a room, you remember? And they had one, at one time on one, the first Sunday, one time, they, they all saw him and they, they came and told the other apostles that we've seen him. And then, you know, it was Thomas who said, wait a minute, but if I can actually, he did not just want to look at him in the face. He wanted to touch him. He said, I want to put my finger with the nails where he came. And then he said, when he did, then he said, my Lord and my God. And Jesus replied to him, and he said, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Now keep that in mind. Now he's talking about not seeing me physically. That's what he's talking about. He's not talking about not seeing. Not conceptualizing. He's talking about not viscerally seeing him. With their eyes. In human form. First Peter 1 at verse 8 said, Whom, whom having not seen, Though you haven't really seen him, he's talking about in the flesh. Whom now you see him not, yet believing you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of joy. The lack of faith is the reason why the world cannot see Jesus. Faith is why you can see him. You can conceptualize him. I'm not saying you can see him physically. But you can conceptualize. John 14 verse 19 says, A little while, and the world sees me no more. But you see me, because I live, you shall live also. What we're saying, Sandra, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you can see him. Very You can see Jesus. Now you may struggle with this. 
So he said, because I live, you will live also. Then in 3 John chapter 1 at verse 11, it says, Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that do, does good is of God, but he that believes, he that does evil has not seen God. So you're not going to see God when you're involved in something that's illegitimate, in something that's wrong, something that's mysterious, something that's sinful. You're not going to be able to see it. If you do good, he said, you do good, the antithesis of this is, you will be able to see it. If you're not doing good, you're not going to be able to see it. No wonder there's a big difference between you and the world. Christians live by faith. We believe that Jesus lives. And we believe that we can, in fact, see Him. John 16, verse 16 through 17 says, In a little while, and you shall not see Him. He's talking to the apostles. And again, a little while, and you will see Him. That confuses me. Because I go to the Father. Then said some of the disciples among themselves, What is this that He said unto us? A little while you will see, not see me, and again a little while, and you shall see me, and because I go to the Father. Well, that was confusing. After a while, they would not see him in the flesh, but they would see him, just like you can and I can see him. Second Corinthians five verse seven tells us why we walk by faith and not by sight. We walk on a different plane. We're on a different level. Of existence when we're walking by faith. It's an encounter with Jesus. You have an encounter with God and you have an encounter with Jesus in your heart by faith. And it is real. It is real. And you can see it. You can comprehend him. You can know him. And you do. Second Corinthians 4 verse 18 puts it this way. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. Now, how can you look at things that aren't seen? How can you see things that can't be seen? He doesn't say it's something you can't see, it's something that are not seen. Not seen by who? Not seen by those without faith. If you don't have faith, you're not going to see. If you do have faith, you will see. The things which are seen are temporal. The things which are not seen are eternal. So you're on a different plane. In John 14, verse 21 through 23, we have this statement. He that has my commandments and keeps them, he it is that loves me, and he that loves me shall be loved my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Judah said unto him, now listen, he said, if you love me, keep my commandments, and you can see me. That's what he said. I will manifest myself to you. Okay. Judas said, Lord has it you'll manifest yourself to us and not to the world. How can we see you and the world not see you? You feel a little different here? How can we see Jesus and God and the world not see you? You feel a little strange when the people with people that don't believe in God? They can't see him. They don't believe in Jesus. They don't see him. You see him. They don't see him. Okay. Jesus answered and said unto them, If any man love me, 
He will keep my word and my Father will love Him. We will come unto Him and make our bold with Him. The faith transitions itself into love. If you love God, you can see Him. 1 John 4 verse 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another. Love is of God. Everyone that is born of God knows God. He that loves not God knows not God. God is love. If you don't love, you don't see God. That's a, an activity of the heart, my way. That's your emotion. That's where you encounter God. You encounter Him in your heart. We see Jesus in that concept. But that's, that's, a, that's a little bit vague for us at this point. We can also see God and Jesus living in other people. Now maybe that's the easiest place for us to see. To see what it's something to do. It's easy to see Jesus and God working in other people who believe. Okay. That's what that's what the, we, we read about in Matthew chapter twenty-five. Now remember that's a, that's sort of a judgment scene. And in that scene, Jesus said that uh, they had fed him and told him and visited him and given him water to drink and he spoke to the people gone to prison and seen him there. And it said the, the righteous shall say, Lord, when did we see you hungry or fed you or thirsty and gave you drink? When did we see you a stranger and took you, and took you in and naked and clothed you? When did we see you sick or in prison and came unto you? And the king shall answer and say, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as you have done it on the, one of the least of these my brethren, you have done it unto me. Basically, what they're doing, what these people do is seeing Jesus and these people and helping them along. And so they do, and so do they were serving God. Now, it's also stated in this way to Saul related to James the Apostle Paul. On his road to Damascus, a bright light fell on him, and he heard a voice calling him, saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul said, Who are you, Lord? And he identified himself as Jesus. But who was Saul persecuting? He was persecuting Christians. So basically, if you see Christians, you see Jesus working in them, living in them. So that's, that's, that's pretty obvious and easy to get hold of, isn't it? 1 John 4, verse 12 says, No man has seen God at any time. They go home. If we love one another, God dwells in us. Okay, now he's bringing it back down to an activity of the heart. If you love one another, God dwells in us. And his love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and do testify of the Father that, that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwells in him. And he and God. Well, now then we can see God and someone who confesses that he is Jesus of the Christ. Faith and love actually alters a person's perspective in life. When you begin to experience the fact that God is in your life, that Jesus is there, and you begin to see his power in yourself. Once he enters your life, you begin to, you begin to feel the difference. You begin to uh, understand 
all the love that you have for others, you know, has been instigated by, molded by Jesus Christ. So you're starting to experience some things that identify the fact that Jesus is in you. And you begin to see this impact even on your own heart and your own life. You begin to see things differently. And you should. Matthew 4.16 says, The people which sat in darkness saw a great light, and to them which sat in, sat in the region of shadow of death, light was coming. The light was Jesus. So he's turning the light on. The darkness of your life is starting to fade away. Starting to vanish. And the light's coming on. Because Jesus is in your life. This is the true light that lights every man that comes into the world. John 1 and verse 9. In the light of Jesus, I'm not saying look at the mirror. But what I'm saying is that you can see him in your life. You really can. You can see your Savior in your life through a different prison. A different prison. You want to prison it? Yes. Sometimes if you can't see the words on the page, I just make mine bigger so I can see it. But sometimes you get a prison and you can see better. So in the light of Jesus, you see your own life through a different prison. You learn to appreciate all that God has created for you and all, all that he has done to improve your life. And you find yourself filled with hope and confidence in the future. Your future is not bleeding. You know that even if things get worse, they can get better and will get better. In Jesus, with you. It's a problem. So you begin to see that. You uh, find yourself filled with hope and confidence. You, you see yourself differently in a better aspect, with a better outlook on life. You, uh, you learn the values of a life well lived because you're living it and you're feeling it, you're experiencing it, and you know it's because someone is in your life and you see him there. You appreciate every moment of your life because he makes you appreciate every moment of your life. When you begin to understand the life of the Son of God, you start to see who God is. And you start to understand Him better. Jesus opens your eyes to Him. The most basic place where we see the uh, Son of God and Jesus is in the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So when you open the Bible, you turn to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you begin reading the Scripture, you begin to see conceptualize the Son of God. You begin to understand this. You know, sometimes we we conceptualize who a person is because we hear people talk about it. And then when we see them in person, we think, well, that's not, not who I thought you were. What we're actually misinterpreting here is we're trying to think about what they look like physically instead of who they are, the type of person they are. So we make that mistake among ourselves. We can make that mistake with God among ourselves. What we're looking at with our Father is what Jesus looks like, and what Jesus looks like is what someone 
older three were and were. That's found in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. His presence in the world is seen through the living effect that is created in us. John 6, 63 said, It's the spirit that quickens, that makes you alive. The flesh profits nothing, but the words I speak unto you, they are spirit, they are peace. His word is alive. His word changes you. His word gives you that concept that you need of the Father and of the Son, and begins begin to translate your life. Now, that means that you're going to start seeing Jesus. Or you already see You're seeing him in your life. You're seeing him in the lives of others. You're seeing him in the word. You're seeing him in the tremendous impact that he has had upon the entire world. Just his presence on this earth changed the world. So we're seeing him, but we're not seeing him. We're not seeing him physically. Hold on this minute. Think about this. If you are seeing Jesus now, guess what's in store for you? First John 3, verse 1 and 2 says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world does not know us. The world does not know Jesus. The world does not know you. Because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. There's the promise you have. You can see him as he is. Let's stand and sing the song of the Lord. Let's be able to sing that song.